I invite you now to listen to or read along the scripture reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. You can read it on the screen. You can pull it out on your phone. Uh, that's totally fine. I'm going to be reading from a piece of paper. <laughs> the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. For some reason, we seem fascinated with lists of the best and worst things. Do you know what I mean? You find those lists all over the internet. The 10 best books, the 10 worst books. The 10 best movies, the 10 worst movies. Well, of course, there are best and worst lists that relate to places, to cities and towns here in the U.S. I took a look this last week, and so, for example... According to many lists, the very best place to vacation in the United States is Asheville, North Carolina. The worst place to vacation? Anybody have any guesses? It's in New Jersey. Atlantic City, New Jersey is named the worst place to vacation. The best place to live? Green Bay, Wisconsin. I didn't see that one coming. And then, according to many lists, the worst place to live is Mendota, California. Now, I'm not aware of a list of uh, places in the U.S. with the best names, but I would argue that if there is such a list, Paradise, Texas should be on it. However, it seems that nearly everyone agrees, because it's on all kinds of lists, that the worst place name in the U.S. is Toadsuck, Arkansas. Now, of course, best and worst lists are really just opinions. So I'm certain there are people in Atlantic City and Mendota and Toadsuck who would be really offended to find out that they are on anyone's worst list. One thing's for sure, though. Once something has made a worst list, the designation tends to stick. And I think that's what happened with Nazareth, the tiny town that made the ancient world's version of a worse list based upon a comment from our friend Nathaniel. John tells us that Jesus has just begun his ministry. He's out in the countryside calling disciples saying, come follow me. 
He calls a man named Philip. And then Philip, like any good disciple, turns right around and calls others to follow Jesus. He approaches a man named Nathaniel and says, Hey, we found the one talked about in the law and the prophets. It's Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's reply is a question that has rung down through the centuries. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, friends, scholars don't know a lot about Nazareth at that time. Um, prior to Nathaniel's comment, there's really not a lot recorded about it. But generally, they all agree that it was probably just a tiny, dusty town made up of little stone houses populated by desperate people trying to scrape out a living, folks with few resources and not a lot of hope. No more and no less until Nathaniel made his comment and it went on this um, ancient worst list. Friends, what's that about? Why would John think that Nathaniel's comment about Nazareth was so important that he included it in his gospel? What are we to learn from this negative tidbit about Jesus' hometown? Well, like all of Holy Scripture, there is more here beneath the surface if we will take the time to mine it, if we will linger with the text for a while and look at it deeply. So let's return to the question at hand. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Friends, at some level, doesn't that question sound familiar to you? I mean, from time to time, don't all of us ask whether something good can come out of something that looks pretty bad? Truth be told, we all have Nazareths in our lives, and there are plenty of Nazareths in our world. And one of the most important and heartfelt questions that human beings ask is whether anything good can come out of those Nazareths. We wonder, can anything good come out of my divorce? Can anything good come out of my spouse's death? Can anything good come out of my child's addiction? Can anything good come out of my health problems, my financial problems, the failing of my business? And we ask, can anything good come out of the terrible violence in the Middle East? Can anything good come out of the tragedy that is unfolding daily along the border between the U.S. and Mexico? Can anything good come out of the political polarization that is happening in our country? These kinds of questions weigh heavy on us. You know, some years ago, I visited a woman who was living in a nursing home. She was much too young to be there, really, but she was very sick, and her family couldn't care for her, so there she was. I visited her regularly for about a year before she died, and every visit sort of unfolded the same way. I would come in and sit down by her bed, and I would ask her something like, how are you, or... How are you feeling, or how is your spirit? And she would always say, let's not talk about that. Holly, tell me something good. 
she would say. It's one of the deepest longings of the human heart. This need for something good when things look so bad. We so desperately want to hold on to the hope that some way, somehow, something good can come out of the Nazareth in our lives. So friends, I hope you'll hear me this morning when I say to you that something could can come out of those Nazareths. It can. God does not cause tragedy or suffering or death or grief or violence. God is never the source of those things, but God can work in the midst of things that are so hard to bring about something good. And I really appreciate the way Leonard Sweet talks about this. He says, when you are at your lowest ebb, when you are at your worst point, when you are most destroyed, destitute, disinherited, and bankrupt, when you are most damned and damaged, then and there, God wants to do God's greatest work in your life. Just when you think everything is coming to an end, Everything is really just beginning. Friends, this is why the Apostle Paul said that to the world, the cross is foolishness, but to those who believe, it is the power of God. You see, what people saw on the cross was failure. That's what the world saw. And terrible pain and suffering and death. And that in the midst of something so awful, God was doing God's greatest work. The world saw failure, but in the midst of that, God worked through grace to bring about victory. Some of y'all know that my maternal grandfather was a United Methodist pastor. I talk about him often. And when he died, he left me his pastor's library Dozens and dozens and dozens of books, many of which are in my office here at, at Terrytown. And when I finally sat down and sorted through all of them, I found that he had several by a man named E. Stanley Jones. And as it turns out, E. Stanley Jones was one of the greatest missionaries in Christian history. He went to India as a missionary when he was only 21 years old, and he remained there for the bulk of his life. He was so respected. He related to people so well. He was so effective in his work that he was nominated for bishop, but he turned it down because he wanted to remain in the, in the mission field. And he, he was a prolific writer. He wrote many books throughout his life, completing his final book called The Divine Yes when he was 83 years old. Now, What's amazing about that book is not so much his advanced age when he completed it, but what happened right before he wrote it. You see, right before E. Stanley Jones wrote that book, he had a severe stroke and was paralyzed. He was left unable to write. He really couldn't see or hear well at all, could hardly speak, but he felt so deeply called by God to write this book that with the help of his daughter, he dictated it line by line into a little cassette recorder. The opening lines of that book have been quoted by so many pastors in so many sermons, they've become a classic. 
Jesus is the yes, he wrote. The divine yes. The divine yes became E. Stanley Jones' best-selling book. And in fact, friends, you can still buy that book on Amazon today. It sells copies every year. It's the one he's best known for. And yet, E. Stanley Jones wrote that book in the midst of his own personal Nazareth. Tomorrow is MLK Day. We will remember Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a tremendous leader, a man of great faith, a person who really brought about a cultural revolution, he pushed back against segregation and worked to bring basic civil rights to millions, and he, he did that in the midst of, of the terrible darkness of systemic racism and, and prejudice and oppression and even violence. Out of something so bad, God was at work bringing about something that wasn't just good, but dare I say, holy. And friends, perhaps this is the greatest lesson we can glean from our text. Not just that God can work in the midst of our Nazareth to bring about something good, but that by the grace and power of Almighty God, the worst things we can think of, death, tragedy, sin, violence, in the midst of those things, God can work in a transformational way to bring about something sacred, to bring about something holy. After all, what came out of Nazareth wasn't just somebody good, but the holiest one of all the Savior of the world. And if we think about it, don't we see that kind of power at work in the lives of people around us? Haven't we seen that? Don't all of us know people who have gone through a time of terrible trial and they have come out of that Nazareth not just as a survivor, but someone transformed by God in such a way that they become a unique blessing to others? They... They come through that Nazareth and they, they double down on their faith, on their love, on their commitments, on their art, on their passion, on their relationships, and thereby bless the world. And friends, I, I would guess, in fact, I would bet, that there are people sitting here this morning who are people like that. There are some of you sitting here today, who have gone through your own personal Nazareth and come out on the other side, transformed by God in such a way that you are a unique blessing to others. Through your vulnerability and your willingness to share your story with others, you're giving people hope. You may not even realize it, but you are a lighthouse person for the people around you. That's what God's grace can do, even in the midst of a Nazareth. Friends, I don't think I can put it any better than Leonard Sweet, really. When we are at our lowest point, it is then that God wants to and will do God's greatest work in our lives. God is so good and so loving and so powerful and so capable 
and so engage with every single one of us that when we find ourselves in that Nazareth place, we can hold on to that hope. That out of that, God will indeed bring something good. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we give you thanks for in all parts of our lives, you are with us walking that journey. You never leave us, and you work continually for good. Even in the darkest times, you make a way where there is no way. You transform things that we could never imagine into something good. Lord, help us to hold on to that hope and to share it with others. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.